Well, good morning to you. I have my team up here helping right now. No pressure. Okay. I need the cable. Oh, a little bit more. There we go. All right. Now you get to see all the things that are coming. Should be a blue dot in the middle when we're right. There we go. That's got it. Let's try that again. Good morning. Good. Did you like yesterday? We're going to try and... Who's the guy that was uncontrollable laughter yesterday? You right there. You all right? Okay. All right. This is my uh, family I wanted to show you. We're a little bit out of sync there, but not too bad. But uh, you can't see my granddaughter. But here, let me move this. Nope, that doesn't work. (laughs) That's my grandson there. That's the uh, world's smartest grandson. I taught him, you'll like this, I taught him whenever I come, he comes up to me and he pats me on the shoulder and he goes, big dog. I'm the big dog. Oh, there we go. And that's, that's our new granddaughter. She is two week, three weeks on Sunday, two days ago. So she's three weeks and two days old. So I'd say, she, I say she's cute, but I mean, she's a baby, and so she's kind of still, anyway. <laughs> <clears throat> and I showed, I told you I was a firefighter, so I had to show you the proof of it and everything. Currently, right now, uh, I am a, a chaplain with the City of London Fire Department. We have 420 firefighters and about uh, 25 white shirts, and white shirts are chiefs, and uh, nobody likes chiefs. But uh, anyway, so did that for a long time, and told you yesterday about our ministry with ABWE Canada, and uh, told you a little bit about it. Our philosophy is sharing the story of hope, building communities of faith, serving the world with love. Uh, we are a church planting organization deeply rooted in evangelism and discipleship. We want to build churches, build communities of faith, and then we are involved in social work as well through orphanages and education and hospitals and all kinds of things like that. Call me. So enough said, right? Come by and pick up a, a, a prayer card and pray for us. And uh, we will pray that God will use you, and we appreciate your prayers for us, and we covet them. Well, yesterday we talked about God uses us to reach people. Remember that? Because of their faith, he said to the one sick of the palsy. Today we're going to talk about God uses us to reach people that cannot be reached. And isn't that a lot of what missions is about? And so we're going to talk about that. Uh, this, this story starts off in uh, St. Louis, 
Missouri. And I had a, a late evening flight from St. Louis, Missouri to Dallas, Texas. I was going to be going down to Dallas for, for ministry uh, for about a week. And so I got on the plane and I had my ticket and it said 7E. And so I had my ticket and I gave it to the gal at the, at the, at the front of the plane and she said, right down there? And she said, 7. And I said, okay, no problem. So I walked down... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Got down to seven, turned right. I knew that I had an, uh, a window seat, so I turned right and I sat down in my seat. I got comfortable and everything. And I started watching people come down through the aisle and everything. And I had one seat here, I had an empty, uh, and then two seats next to me, and then the aisle, and then two seats over there. And uh, after a few moments, an, an older lady with gray hair and and uh, she came, she sat down at the seat, not next to me, but the next one over. And, hello, how are you? Fine, have, and, uh, well, have a nice day. And, you know, what you do on an airplane. And, and uh, then a lady came, or, or then I was sitting there and people were walking down. And I have the gift of prophecy. I know I'm Baptist, but I have the gift of prophecy. I can sit in a plane seat and I can look down at people coming down the aisle and I can guess who it is that's coming to sit by me. It's uncanny. It works almost every time. And I saw the guy coming down the aisle. He was about six foot two, six foot three. He weighed about uh, 350 pounds in his left leg. <laughs> He had a beard. If I tell you he had a beard that looked like Grizzly Adams, do you know who that is? Yeah. Big, huge, black beard. I mean, just huge. Had long hair down to about here. And uh, he's carrying his stuff, walking down the aisle, and he had this rock and roll t-shirt, and I don't know if it was AD, ACDC or Led Zeppelin. or I, I think it was actually Led Zeppelin. And uh, that was back in the days of shredded blue jeans. And you guys probably don't know what those are, but they were, you'd take a brand new pair of blue jeans and you would cut them in strips. And he had shredded blue jeans. And I couldn't see, you know, but when he, and he, he came down, and big guy, and he said, that's my seat right there in the middle. And the lady looked up at it and she goes, Okay. And she got up, and he sat down in the seat. He said, sorry about this. Sat down in the seat and got comfortable, and he turned to her, and he said, beautiful evening, isn't it? And she said, yes. And he said, uh, you live in Dallas? No. And she moved in her seat as far away from him as she could, and her body language screamed, leave me alone. So he turned to me, and he goes, uh, you live in Dallas? I said, no, I live here in St. Louis. He goes, oh, great. I said, how about you? He says, no, I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. I said, really? He said, yes. It's great. I said, uh, and I, I shouldn't have asked. I shouldn't have asked. I said, what do you do for a living? And he said, I'm a rock and roll disc jockey. I said, really? And then it clicked in my head. Cincinnati, and I said, WKRP in Cincinnati? 
and again, you guys won't know, but that was an old comedy show that was based on a rock and roll radio station in Cincinnati, Ohio, and they were really crazy people. And he goes, no, but it's very similar. A lot of people in the... I said, oh, great. He said, what do you do? I try real hard not to use the missionary word when I talk to people because they scream when they realize that they're sitting next to a missionary. And so I say, well, I'm in ministry. And he goes, oh, great. He said, "Uh, what kind of ministry? He said, do you pastor a church? Are you a missionary? Are you... I said, "Uh, I'm a missionary. He goes, oh, foreign, home? I said, "Uh, home. He goes, oh, independent, denominational. Independent. He said, "Uh, evangelical, fundamental? I said, fundamental. Fundamental like Bob Jones or fundamental like uh, Liberty University? (laughs) I said, probably closer to Liberty And he goes, oh, he says, I guess you're wondering why I asked. I said, it did cross my mind. He said, well, my dad and my brother are both, and this is exactly the way he said it, my dad and my brother both are independent fundamental Baptist missionaries. I said, really? He said, yes. I've never said this openly in a meeting like this, but I'm going to tell you guys something. Is this being recorded? (laughs) It doesn't matter. It's been enough time. He said, matter of fact, I'm a graduate of Bob Jones University. I said, really? He goes, yeah. He said, you wouldn't guess it, would you? No. <laughs> he said, where'd you go to school? I said, I went to Tennessee Temple. He goes, oh, we're rivals. I said, yeah. I said, we can sit here and we can tell Bob Jones Tennessee Temple jokes today. And we did. We told several back and forth. He put me down, I put him down. <laughs> <coughs> His name is Dave. His name is Dave. His radio name is Hutch in the Morning. This is probably 25 years ago at least. I said, Dave, I said, why are you going to to Texas? Why are you going to Dallas? He says, I'm going to see my father and I'm going to go buy my baby pictures from him. This is why I don't normally tell where he was from. He said, I'm going to go buy my baby pictures from him. I said, why is that? He said, my dad disowned me about 10 years ago because of my life, my lifestyle. And he said, I still love my dad. I still love my family, but I don't know that he loves me. And so I'm going to go buy my baby pictures from my dad. I said, I'm sorry. And we cried. Now I left out an important part of this story. Before the plane took off, there was a lady that walked down the aisle after he came. And she looked at her ticket in her hand and she looked at my row and she looked at me and she said, 7A, you're in my seat. And I said, no, no. I said, this is 7E. And she said, no, no, look. And I was in 7E. I was supposed to be seated across the street over by the other window. And I said, well, I can get up. And she looked at me and she looked at the guy sitting next to me and she said, no, no, that's okay. I'll sit over there and you stay there. And I said, are you sure? She said, yeah, I'm sure. 
when she sat down and when she took that flight, there was nobody seated next to her that day. I was in the wrong seat, but I was in the right seat that God wanted me to be in. I still tear up. I mean, I'm fighting it hard right now as I tell the story about Dave. I called him after we got back home, and he told me that the the reunion with his dad had gone well. He said, we have a long ways to go. You believe in coincidences? Um, Actually, coincidences happen. Turn to Luke chapter 10. This is a very, very familiar story of Scripture for you. You don't have to turn there. I can just read it to you, which I'm going to. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up. This lawyer was not a lawyer from uh, uh, downtown Toronto. This was not a legal eagle. This was somebody that knew the law of Moses. He knew the word of God. He knew the Torah backwards and forwards. And he tested him saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? There have been a few times in my life where I've had somebody say to me, Can you tell me how to be saved? Can you tell me how to go to heaven? That's like reaching up and picking ripe fruit. Doesn't happen often, but that's what happened here to Jesus that day. Except it does tell us, it gives us the indication that that he did it to test him. This was a trick. And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What what is it that you're reading of it? How do you understand it? Give me your interpretation of what the law says. So he answers him. He answers him from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. We'll look at that in a moment. He said, so you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answered him and said, and he answers him from Leviticus as well, and he says, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. This bothers me. This is salvation by works, isn't it? Isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that what God tells him? Live a perfect life and you will live. Can't be done. Why would Jesus tell him that? Well, because that's what Leviticus says. And the law is not there to make us perfect. The law is there to show us our imperfection. And so he says, wanting to justify himself, he says to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Who is this one? Here we see Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and the question being asked. He answers him from, uh, the man answers him, and by the way, oh, I don't have time to get into all this. This could have been the individual who later becomes the Apostle Paul. It could have been but we won't go there. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then from Leviticus, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He, he answers him, this Pharisee answers him directly from Scripture. Jesus says, you therefore keep my commandments and my judgments, which a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord, Leviticus chapter 18. So both of them are throwing Scripture back and forth at them. Boy, that's a good kind of debate, isn't it? <clears throat> so who is my neighbor? Who is the one that I'm responsible for? 
So he asks Jesus this question, and Jesus answers him with a story. And the story is the, some of your Bibles may have the parable of the Good Samaritan. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell us that this is a parable. I think it's true. I think it's what was out there on the Jerusalem Gazette or the Jerusalem Free Press or the Jerusalem Star, whatever the name of the newspaper was, if they had newspapers. I think that's what Jesus is telling him about. I think everybody in the town was talking about, hey, did you hear about this uh, guy, this business guy that was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves? I think people were talking about it. Who, uh, how did this happen? So, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed him, leaving him half dead and at least half naked. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came and he looked and he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him he had compassion. So he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. (coughs) On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and he said to him, take care of him, whatever more you spend, when I come, I will pay you again. So he travels from this area, from Jerusalem, which is high in elevation, he travels north which to, Jeru- uh, to Jericho, which is low in ver- elevation, so he travels down in elevation. And he travels through this, this rocky desert area. And as he travels through this area, everyone knew that it was an area where you could possibly run into trouble. And in this case, it happened because the, the, <clears throat> the thieves fell upon him and beat him. This is a, a stamp that, believe it or not, was published, was, was put out by the, the country Luxembourg um, some years ago, 1983, and it was a picture of the Good Samaritan. Actually, it was a piece of artwork. We don't have any pictures. And so what happens is that he falls among thieves, and he's beaten, he's left there, he's half dead, he's broken, he's bleeding, he's in really, really bad shape. But don't worry, a priest, a man of God, a guy who is an example, who sets forth the way it should be for people, walks by. But unfortunately, he walks by. It says when he saw him, and the same word is used all three times in Scripture, but it says when he saw him, the idea, the concept is that he saw him, and as soon as he saw him, he said, oh, no, no, not today. I'm not going to get involved. I don't have time and don't want to get involved. The thieves might still be around here. It might be bad for me, so I'm going to avoid this situation. So he, he goes on by. And then a Levite. Now, I, I have troubles illustrating what a Levite is today for people within our context. And and a deacon, you know, a deacon in a church kind of works. You know, they, they, they do a lot of the manual labor and the, the background work. You know, they don't get all the glory that the priest does, the pastor. But they do a lot of the work. And so a Levite, a guy who puts his faith into practice, comes walking by. 
And the idea, the concept here is that when he came, he looked at them, is the way that our King James Bible puts it. And he came and he says, Hey, man, you've been robbed. You're naked. They took your clothes. They beat you up. The way your leg is twisted like that, it might even be broke. The way you're bleeding. My cousin got cut one time with an axe. He almost bled out. You could die. Somebody needs to help you, dude. Let's pray. God, help this man. Touch his life. Heal his body. Send somebody to help him. Amen. And then he walks away. You believe in luck? For the life of the Christian, do you believe in luck? No. Look at the next verse there in Luke chapter 10. What does it say? Just and by chance. Well, I'm a Christian. We don't play games of chance. Well, the King James Bible puts it that way. And by chance. Just by luck. By coincidence. A Samaritan walked by. And the same idea is given there as when the priest came by. When he saw him, he jumped off of his animal. He ran to him. He took care of him. He bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Now, I like to say that I'm a highly trained professional EMT paramedic. It's, I kind of make fun of it. But what's the guy doing pouring in oil and wine? He's not making a salad. <laughs> but the, the wine would, would cleanse the wound. It would work as what we call an astringent. It would help to seal the wound or seal the, the blood vessels so that they would stop bleeding. And the oil would work as a salve or an ointment and would seal the wound and would cover it. It was good medicine. And so he takes care of them. And he comes down there and he gets down next to the guy and he says, Hey, man, he says, let me help you. Now, I think the man was a Jewish businessman because he's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He got robbed, so he probably had something worth robbing, worth stealing. So I think he was a Jewish businessman. And here this Samaritan comes down and he says, Let me help you. And the guy opens up his eyes and looks at the guy and by his dress and by his face and by the t-shirt that he had on that said Samaritan and proud of it. <laughs> no, no. He looks at the guy and he goes, you filthy Samaritan. I'd rather die than be touched by you. Leave me alone to die. Don't touch me. You think so? No. No. Who are the Samaritans? Samaritans were half Jewish and half Gentile. During the captivity, they married, they intermarried with the Gentiles. The Jews hated the Samaritans. 
because the Samaritans were half Gentile. They hated them. The Gentiles hated the Samaritans because they were half Jewish. They hated them because they were half Jewish. The worst thing, the most filthy thing that a Samaritan could call another Samaritan was to look at one another and say, You Samaritan. This is dangerous. I want you to think in your mind the group that you are prejudiced of. Okay, stop. Don't want to dwell on that. That's who the Samaritans were. They were the most hated, the most despised, the, most, the group that had the most prejudice against them. That's the Samaritans. And that's who came down to help this man. And he looked at him and he said, Why are you helping me? Well, man, you're in trouble. But you're a Samaritan. Really? I hadn't noticed. <laughs> I'm a Jew. So what? You have a need. I need to help you. You're, you're hurt. You don't have no clothes on. He says, let me help you. And so he picked him up and he carried him and he put him on his animal. And again, this is the second stamp in the series. And he took the man and he took him to an inn there. And I guarantee you it wasn't a holiday inn or a red roof inn or... It wasn't a comfort in because this guy was in pain the whole night. And, <clears throat> and what he did was he went to the innkeeper and he said, I need a room. And he said, all I got left is the honeymoon suite. He says, I don't care. I'll take it. And he took him in there and all night long he had to listen to the guy moan and groan and hurt and be in pain. And he took care of him the entire night. The whole night. He didn't have a telephone. He didn't have Wi-Fi. He didn't even have ESPN on the cable TV because cable TV hadn't been invented yet. So he was in bad shape. And then at the end, he goes to the guy and he hands him his Jerusalem Express card. I actually tweeted, or I actually, I actually Googled a Jerusalem Express to try and find a Jerusalem Express card. I couldn't find it. So we got to settle with an American Express. But he gave the guy his Jerusalem Express card and he said, whatever else that it takes, actually he gave him two denarii, two days wages. He said, whatever it takes, I'll pay it when I come back. And he said, I want you to take the guy and I want you to go across the street and I want you to get him a brand new suit of clothes too. Because he didn't have any clothes on, and it's embarrassing. And he took the guy, and he went back into the room, and he said, you're going to be okay. And the guy, after a day or two, got fed, got healed enough, got clothing. He got another animal. He picked up a ride. He went back to Jerusalem, and everybody in the town was talking about, who is this good Samaritan guy? Who is this? What happened here? And I think that's what happened here in this story here with Jesus. 
So Jesus says to him, he says, now which of these three do you think was neighbor of him that fell among the thieves? And here's what's interesting about verse number 37. The man cannot even say the word Samaritan. He says, he who showed mercy on him. He can't even say it was the Samaritan. That means I have 20 more minutes. How long? Two minutes? Okay, we'll make it. And then Jesus said to him, Now go and you do likewise. I got to stop this right quick. This is, this is Penn and Teller. Oh, I don't know how to... There we go. This is... Do you know the magician's Penn and Teller? I, I talked to Dr. Hogue about this yesterday. This is going to take a couple extra minutes. I don't care. This is, this is a, worldly, uh, a godless, worldly man. He's an atheist. He uses no profanity in this. But he tells about, during his Las Vegas show, how a man afterwards comes up to him. And there's a phrase in here I want you to listen for. This is one of the most remarkable videos that you will, you will ever see or hear. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I can open the show. And at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was old on big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the... Um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the, uh, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said... Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. He was very complimentary about my use of language and, um, and complimentary about you know honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff, and then he said, "I brought this for you," and he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought I said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm saying I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And 
It was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever... And you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you, and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, that I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man, and... Uh, that's real important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. How much must you hate somebody not to tell them about Christ. That's not my words. That's the words of an atheist. Two things. How much must you hate somebody not to tell them? Number two, how much must Christ have loved us to do what he did? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you have allowed your son to do for us in providing salvation. Father, may we be faithful in telling others. God, may you continue to use us in your glory to reach people with the gospel. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.